Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. During your lifetime, you will inevitably find yourself broken. If we remove our human desire to compare and contrast, we can all accept that everyone who's ever lived will have gone through some weighty situations that will crush and break. There is a rare genetic disorder called brittle bones disease. And brittle bones disease is estimated to affect actually six to seven out of every 100,000 people worldwide. And their bones consist of deposits of calcium without the organic material collagen that wields them together. In the book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Dr. Pa um, Dr. Paul Brand refers to, him, uh, refers to it as the grit without the glue. He says that simply being birthed could break half of their bones and just mere diapering a child could fracture a hip or a femur and a simple fall could break dozens of their bones. Um, I know most of us don't not, they don't, we don't have brittle bones disease, but we can't avoid brokenness in this life. But we also have full access to the glue that heals every fracture, every snap from intense pressure. But in breakage, grit alone is not enough. We need the glue. We need Jesus to do a work. And at some point, we've all been stubborn and broken, acting like what broke us didn't hurt us, um, acting like it didn't do a number to our soul and our emotions and spirit. We then refuse the glue, the healing, and then time can trick us into thinking that we're healed. But all the while, we have a massive limp and a major unalignment. Dr. Brand wrote that some of the earliest signs of civilization um, is a healed fracture. A healed femur shows that someone must have cared for the injured person, hunted on his behalf, and brought him food and served him at a personal sacrifice. Jesus' service to us was at a deep personal sacrifice. He boldly went to the cross for a broken humanity. And because of his boldness, we can be bold. We can even be bold while broken. While bones do take time to heal, we do not have to be idle. Adjustments and the ability to adapt must happen, but we must be careful not to adjust and adapt to the world. We hear that in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to take a look at three biblical characters and how they were bold while they were broken. Brokenness does not mean uselessness. It's quite the opposite, actually. In 2 Corinthians 12, we can find that there as well. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. The first character we're going to look at is Hannah. Um, there's, I, I can't imagine anybody else um, expressing what that means to be broken and still being bold to go to the Father. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 1, 7 through 16 and read a little bit about her. Um, year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. And another translation says, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Can I tell you something? The devil hates your dependency on God. He hates 
when we get intimate with the Father and his life's mission is to keep you out of the Lord's house and out of his presence. So don't be surprised the more and more that you go after God, the more and more you try to get into your quiet space and your quiet time, that you're being taunted and provoked to go away, to step away, to be distracted because that's a goal of the enemy, to keep intimacy from the Father out of your hands, out of your grasp and out of your life. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why don't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better than your 10 sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost and at the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears, making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she prayed, praying in the Lord's presence, praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently and through her, though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. I wrote a quote. I read a quote earlier today from Lyvis Trotter and she said, measure thy life by loss and not by gain. Not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice. And he who suffers most has most to give. Hannah said, I've been pouring my heart before the Lord. It takes boldness of faith to continue to pour your heart out to God, even though year after year our prayers can go unanswered. It wasn't enough that the ammo of her sister wife included her barrenness but also that it seemed that Hannah did not have the ear of God. She watched Hannah go time after time to the house of the Lord with no results. Are you there? Do you feel like that's you? You're going time after time to the house of the Lord with no results. But nevertheless, brokenness drove Hannah into the arms of the father. Her prayers to God were so bold, so broken that the prophet, the prophet Eli thought she was like, totally drunk. Okay. Sometimes we shy away from the consistency of prayer over certain issues, right? Or we even shy away because friends of us, they seem annoyed over the fact that we've got the same prayer request, the same prayer request. And they, they, you know, you can feel the annoyance from them, but they don't want to hear you talk about it anymore. They don't want to hear another, can you pray for me about this? They're done. You're not right? But you have the ear of the Father. You can access the presence of God. You can go into your quiet space and have the ear of the Lord. We pray one time and spend the rest of our lives wondering why God didn't answer that prayer. There is a wonderful mystery in prayer and that there is great peace that is found there in the presence of God. A deep soul satisfaction awaits there regardless of the outcome. Being bold in the consistency of our prayer life brings peace and satisfaction, even if the answer is no. Even if we pray year after year, that God's peace and presence is there. What drove Hannah to the house of the Lord year after year was that Jesus still, that God still was a satisfaction to her, that God's presence still brought her peace. Prayer puts us face to face 
with our creator and the answer to everything we need. And all we need is Jesus. That's all we need is God. Regardless of any answered prayer, regardless if it's a yes or it's a no, if we get the things we need or if we don't, at the end of the day, Jesus is our satisfaction. He is all we need. I want to look at the next character. I want to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. Um, it was funny. I, I wasn't planning on talking about her, um, but I was through face or through Instagram, um, a painter had painted her and um, it just kind of went on my feed and I saw the face of the woman and how he painted her and it just struck a chord in my heart and he painted her face with such anguish, with such desperation, but such faith. I just thought, man, I need to talk about her. I need to speak about her. And so hopefully you find yourself in her and hopefully not only do you find yourself in her in anguish um, and 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 desperation, but also in desperation for the Father, for Jesus. And Luke 8, 43, um, the text reads, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached um, Jesus from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you and pressing in on against you. Reading that text, it kind of made me pause a little bit. Hopefully it's not totally off topic, but it did give me pause. Um, have we not all said that in church before? Like, I don't feel anything, right? Like we're sitting here and we're worshiping God and you've got your hands up and you look over at people that are crying and worshiping and you can feel the desperation, but inside you're feeling nothing. When I think about the crowds and how, um, the disciples were like, Jesus, like everybody's pressed up against you. When we think about when we enter into the presence of God, right? Regardless if we feel him or not, we're all pressed up against him. The Holy Spirit is there. We're, he's surrounding us, yet we can feel nothing. What was it about the touch of this woman that pulled out the power of Jesus, and that's faith. So I want to encourage you, church, whenever you are there, even now, or when you worship on your own time, when you're gathered with your family, um, worshiping the Lord together, and you don't feel anything, know that it's up to us, that it's up to us to reach out and say, God, I will not go through this life without feeling your presence. Jesus said, someone did touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all these people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Approach the father in faith. Approach him, reach out for him and believe what you're reaching out for. She knew what she was, right? This woman, she knew what she was. She was well aware that she was deemed unclean. She was not to be touched or touched. An outcast caused by circumstances beyond her control with no end in sight. And she had the audacity to reach out and touch Jesus, a holy man, a man that was considered a prophet. All the while being fully aware that the action condemns the recipient of the touch um, unclean as well. Her boldness was birthed out of her desperate faith in spite of her brokenness. What a lesson to us all. Are you broken this morning? 
Well, guess what? Brokenness does not block faithfulness. Just because we're broken doesn't mean we can't be faithful. Just because we're broken doesn't mean we can't have faith or can't be full of faith. Brokenness does not unqualify us. Brokenness does not separate us. It doesn't separate us from God. Brokenness and does not kill us. In fact, going to God in our brokenness is pleasing to him. Psalm 51:17 says, "The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart." There is no better place to be than broken in the arms of God. No better place. And I want to encourage you this morning if you find yourself broken, I encourage you to try the arms of the Father. There is no condemnation there. Um, only a God that fixes broken things. And my last story, I want to take a look at the boldness of being broken is when Jesus healed the paralytic. I, I A couple of weeks ago, I, I taught our children's church and we um, did a really fun craft where we made a little house out of graham crackers and um, out of a saltine cracker, we made it into a little bed and they had to like race to see who could lower a gumming bear inside the house. They, they really had a lot of fun and they all thought it was nuts that these men climbed up on top of a roof, tore it apart just to lower a friend. They were like, did they get in trouble? And um, I'm like, I don't know, maybe they did. Uh, but let's look at five, Luke 5, 17. One day he was teaching. There um, were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present with him to heal. Some men, can, some men came carrying on a stretcher and a man, who was, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and lay him um, down in front of Jesus. But finding that there was no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and removed some of the tiles to make an opening and lowered him through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their active faith springing from confidence in him, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Some of us have broken friends who are bold in their faith. They're just down and out. But they need us to partner our faith and action with them. The answer to their prayers could lie in your help. It could rest on your God-given purpose. We need to be like some tile-removing friends, right? When our broken friends come to us with bold faith, whether they're broken from infertility, sickness, poverty, sin, singleness, unreached dreams, do we posture ourselves like the men who literally carried their friend to the feet of Jesus? Or do we say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you and like forget moments later? How do we posture ourselves? How do we align ourselves with our friends? Removing tiles could look like setting a time and date to intercede for their needs. When your friend asks for the fourth year in a row, I'm still really believing for a baby and you long forgot about it. That you say, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna stand the test of time here with you. I'm, let's, let's say every Friday at this time, we're going to come together and we're going to pray. We're going to be consistently bold in our prayers. Um, removing tiles could look like making our resources useful to others. That you have a friend who, who God's spoken a dream and a vision to, but you see they lack the resources or they lack the connection. Removing tiles could simply mean just making a call. 
that you have the resources and the connections. And when you look around, be intentional about the body of Christ. When you see the people in your church who you see they have faith and they've got good character and that you know, you know what, my resources would be put to good use in their lives and furthering the kingdom without you getting the glory or you seeing the results in your own life, but seeing the results of God in someone else's. Everyone loves a good underdog story. And there's just something about watching someone defy the odds because they have faith. It's contagious. And instead of rolling our eyes because they sound too spiritual or too out there, maybe partner your faith with theirs to believe for miracles. When I was younger, I was, I think I was 15 or 16 years old and I heard a preacher speak about the anointing and he spoke about it so amazingly where it was like, I cannot live another second without the anointing. Like I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, I just want the anointing. And so he prayed for everybody and then like skipped me. And so the night ended and I'm like, but I really wanted the prayer for you. I really wanted anointing. I really want the anointing. And I felt like this guy needed to pray for me. And I felt like I left there without it. I felt like I left there without an experience from God. And so when church came on Sunday, um, I was there um, sitting, listening to the preacher and he actually opened with an altar call, which was quite odd. He really didn't do that before. And so on Sunday I was um, listening and my heart was pounding and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, go pray and, and ask for what you want. And I didn't do it. I sat there frozen and still and unable to move. And um, the altar call ended and he started his his message and my heart continued to pound and I just felt like I cannot breathe another breath without having prayer for the anointing and so I stood up like he was preaching like full-on preaching everybody was sitting down listening to his word and I stood up and just walked up we had steps just stood in front of the steps while he's standing on stage and I just look up at him and and I'm standing there waiting for him to stop and he did he knelt down in front of me because the stage was a little high. And he said, what can I do for you? As if nobody else was in the room. And I just said, I want the anointing. And he stopped the entire service, asked um, some strong believers to come surround me and pray for me that God would give me the anointing. And it was a moment that I'll never forget. But that was, he was a tile remover. He was someone who, um, had the ability to just say, you need to go sit down. What are you doing? You're interrupting a service, right? But he saw that someone was desperate for God and he was like, I'm going to help you get there. I didn't know how to get there. And he was like, I'm going to help you get there. I had the boldness and the faith that I needed help. And so I want to encourage you, church, to be the help that people need. Be those friends that climb roofs and rip it apart just to lower your friend to the feet of Jesus. Where you go to the, you go to great measures to make sure that people know Jesus and not just know him because you get them a Bible, but know him intimately, that we walk with people. It can be very inconvenient to be a tile remover. Sometimes it can put a little pause on what we're doing, just like I did the preacher. <laughs> it totally interrupted a service. Um, plus, it's hard to carry friends. And climbing roofs can be really risky. But when our friends are broken and willing to be helped, we must do what we can to help bring them to the feet of Jesus. We do for others what we would like done for us. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We're born for adversity. If you're a brother and a sister in Christ, we are born for it. We're born to help others 
walk through hard times. We are born to help others remove roadblocks. Proverbs 27, nine says this, sweet friendships refresh the soul and awaken our hearts with joy. For good friends are like the anointing oil and, ye- and that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. Good friends yield the fragrant incense of God's presence. God's presence is in good friendship, in good community. That's incredible to me. What is central in all of these stories of boldness? The driving force that allowed them to plow past their pain, allowed them to move forward in their brokenness, was their belief that Jesus was the only solution, that God had the answer. If you find yourself um, bold but unhappy, you have the grit to get what you want, but the results still hold no satisfaction, Can I tell you, you're missing that one majorly important component. Jesus is the glue. Him and only him can satisfy us in seasons of loss and seasons of gain. In fact, in him lies our only satisfaction. It is Jesus and only Jesus that can fully satisfy our needs when we are high and when we are low. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has made everything beautiful and beautiful and appropriate in this time. He also has planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mystery longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Eternity and divine purpose that nobody can satisfy except God. It's him and only him. You might have the grit and the boldness to go for it, but Jesus is still is the only one who can satisfy even when you get everything that you wanted. If you are broken this morning, I just want you to know that you don't have to pick up the pieces before you come to the throne. You actually have a God who left the throne to pick you up. We are met in the mess with an overwhelming love, a master builder that knows how to fix broken things. It's truly a something to behold, seeing someone broken, square their shoulders, and face life head on. It reminds me of that story of the gymnast, Carrie Streck. Uh, She finished, she even won the gold medal through ripped tendons. There's a part in the story, and hopefully you could look it up on YouTube and see the video, but there was a part in, in, in the footage that I saw that brought tears to my eyes was when the coach carried her to the podium for the gold medal. Um, it was a really an incredible moment. Um, she ripped some tendons through her first run, and she needed to do it again, and her whole team, the gold medal was on the line for the whole team, and she pushed past the pain, and she went and she did it. And it, was, it really is a glorious moment. I encourage you to watch it. Um, but when I saw the coach carry her to the podium for that gold medal, I got a picture of our father. That even when this world breaks us, as we run our race, even if we're broken at the end of it, God picks us up and carries us on to glory. Being broken does not keep us from being bold in our faith. Being broken does not exempt us from sharing our testimony. Some of you have testimonies that you don't want to share because you feel like you're still weak. That's not an excuse. God is made strong in our weaknesses. So I want to encourage you, those, I really do, I feel like some of you out there really feel like that you're holding on to the testimony um, to share when you look better. 
when you your life looks more put together. And I want to tell you that's not how that works. God is made strong in our weaknesses. And so I want to encourage you today that you can still be bold, even Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.